We made it back with another podcast. This is Midnight Film Review, and I'm Colin Smith. With me is... Brian Stevens and his possum. Yeah, his his thirsty possum. <laughs> with a, <laughs> a, a tongue lashing. If you listen close, you can hear you can hear it. Hear that that wet thwacking sound. <laughs> that's my possum. Uh, that's something else. Um, we've got a a great show for you today. Uh, sorry, we're a little bit late, um, but you know life happens, and yes, it's our, my fault. Our contracts are pretty flexible, so we can as long as we deliver within a certain date, we still get paid. <laughs> um, we've got a. We've got a little bit of a lighter open discussion today. We're going to uh, we're going to talk a little bit about HBO um, and kind of the the status of their network, um, especially with a little bit of a lack of uh, lack of dramatic programming right now and a seemingly uh, seemingly successful batch of comedies running. Let's um, see what that's all about. We're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, Talk a little bit about The Rock. I mean, you know, say no more. Yeah. We'll make sure to close your eyes and visualize, use your imaginations for that segment. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, it was, so it was uh, announced this week that The Rock is signed on to do, uh, to play Doc Savage, which is, could be a, a fun little weird throwback adaptation. Um, Doc Savage is considered to be maybe like the original superhero something like that as an old pulp character um also the rock is like set to do a prolific amount of films he's like the jeff monson of doing movies (laughs) instead of fighting people (laughs) um we've got some uh we've got some emails we're going to uh read talk about touch on um very gently uh smoothly (laughs) kind of like Brian and this possum right now, just uh, just coaxing it into submission <laughs> with his gentle stroking. That was my nickname in high school, <laughs> the possum tamer. Uh, when I hear coaxing into submission, I thought you were going a different route with that nickname. <laughs> no. Um, got a couple media hot takes, um, and then, you know, Brian Singer took a break from... Uh, Raping underage boys at his questionable party mansion to make another X Men film. So we figured if you know if he can take a break from what he's doing, we you know we should review his movie for him. So we're going to finish up with a review of X Men Apocalypse today. Um, yeah, man, we are. I am like sleep deprived. I am not all here. It's been a long week, and you know we've. It was a strange week for us. We we took some time off, uh, mainly my fault. I apologize to our listeners. Um, no real reason, just conflict of schedule uh-huh. and um, excrement coming out of my body. Yeah. So we apologize, but we're back and better than ever. Uh huh. This is uh, episode thirty three. So uh, you know this is where we start hitting some health problems. Oh yeah, we, I didn't. I see. This is this is the status of. Our podcast today. I don't even remember how to do the the opening. And that's what we get for doing it on a Sunday. Yeah. Sundays are. I mean, it's like it's like you know, um, Andy Samberg said, "Lazy Sunday, wake up in the late afternoon." Call up Parnell just to see. Yeah, what he's exactly. Doing. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. What up, Parns? Sandberg <laughs> was cracking. You thinking what I'm thinking? 
Narnia, man. It's, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. I mean, I could do the whole song. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go there. Uh-huh. Um, so what we're saying is, listeners, wake up. We're we're gonna do a show right now. Um, so all right, yeah. Let, let's it's hop hyped. into it. Let's get let's get to it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So so HBO. Yeah. So uh, I, I always find it interesting that you you don't watch Game of Thrones because you've read all the books. Well, that's not why I don't watch Game of Thrones. Let's don't. I'm not saying that's not. Don't paint. Don't paint me in that light, man. I'm not a hipster. Okay. I'm not saying that you don't watch them because you read the books. I'm just saying I always think interesting that you don't watch them. And I've also read the books. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so. um, But we're not here to talk about Game of Thrones. But I'm just. Well, I mean, sort of. We are. We are. But um, that's right now, currently, the only drama. That one is working and bringing fans, <laughs> yeah. and two that they're actually airing. So Vinyl aired earlier this year, debuted in uh, in January, which was Martin Scorsese's long-awaited return to HBO, and it, by all accounts, sucked. Well, I mean, I, so just because it was a a ratings failure, I, I'm assuming it was a pretty critical. Darling, right? Did it get reviewed well? No, it did not. Mixed to good reviews, not excellent reviews. Interesting. Yeah, uh, the show and I, I, I was out after uh, three or four episodes, and it mainly was because the lead character um, is just not that interesting. Um, they don't take it to interesting places. Uh, he, it's a very dark show. Um, and the, the most interesting character actually is uh, Juno Temple, um, who is one of those actresses who fades into backgrounds of movies. She was in uh, The Dark Knight Rises. She's been in several other small roles, but she uh, was a huge standout in Killer Joe, which you recommended to me a while ago, um, which is an excellent movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, that was really her her first role where she really got recognized and in this she's a young woman in late 70s 80s uh you know record company trying to make her way to the top and uh she uses her body but the the problem is that the story doesn't focus on her enough um and it just i was surprised uh that it got renewed for a second season but vinyl was renewed before it was renewed before it ever even uh launched its its pilot so um yeah and then the, the you were you gonna say something no i i mean i so just reading a couple consensus reviews it seems like people like the performances and don't like mm-hmm. the writing basically yeah because the story is kind of dis- yeah the story's just kind of boring yeah. i mean it doesn't really go anywhere um i don't even know how a second season would start from what i've heard of how the first season ended um yeah i don't know it's just not a fun show it's not entertaining um, the the performances are great, um, like like they said. Um, but so we have the leftovers returning for season three, which I mentioned to you that I think I'm the only person on earth that likes the leftovers. You're the only person left, left on earth. Left on earth. Oh hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so this will be the final season of that. It will be this summer. It will be airing this summer. Uh, True Detective was announced that they're more than likely not going to do a third season. Yeah. Uh, and what I mean. That True Detective is really an anomaly. For I mean, from something to generate the amount of hype that it did with season one and the amount of acclaim, um, mm-hmm. and to go from that to just 
alienating everybody and falling off the radar so quickly right, with the yeah. second season. I can't I can't think of anything else that has moved from darling to disaster that quickly. Right. I mean it's, it's it is yeah. It's it's so weird. Hey, two years ago, I mean three years ago, that's all everybody was talking about. Right, was, yeah. Oh my god, I'm so excited for season two of True Detective and Man, just I mean there there are always people who are like, you know, you expect them to be disappointed by right, yeah. a follow-up to something, but everybody was disappointed. Nobody liked it. It just, I mean, it just wasn't good. <laughs> the story wasn't good. The, the writing was was atrocious, and the characters made the dumbest decisions. I, I mean, Vince Vaughn's character throughout the <clears throat> the show just seemed to be, um, you know, smarter than everybody else. Uh destined to be an anti-hero and the way he dies it's like I, it just it wasn't a smart it, the first season was very smart very interesting um and well done and this was just it just looked good you know what I mean like it just Vince Vaughn was didn't give a good performance um yeah and so the, that's probably not coming back and then um so that leaves us looking forward to uh, Westworld, which may or may not eventually come to television. Yeah, I mean that's the. One, I mean we've been waiting for this for two years. There's been delays for various reasons. Um, yeah, I, I mean, other than that, there's a couple other things we saw where it looked like they were um, planning on releasing a a do David Simon um, created. Yeah, which which sounds sounds like a lot like if David Simon made vinyl, except it was about the porn <laughs> industry, yeah. the legalization of porn in New York instead of whatever record yeah. industry period that Scorsese is talking about. Um, ooh, ooh, that was a weird noise from a possum. She, she's she's just relaxing. Uh huh. Um, a, a magic touch. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, anything with David Simon is bound to... I mean, has, I feel like he hasn't had a misstep yet, really, in mm-hmm. something he's been involved with. No, I agree. Um, so, I mean, there's that to look forward to, but really the area that they've been successful <clears throat> is in comedy. You know, Veep's winning tons of awards, um, and people are saying it's the best comedy on show. This last season of Girls, everybody said it was the best season of Girls. I can't stand that show, but, I mean, people watch it. Um, Lena Dunham is an awful human being, and then she, like, basically, her <laughs> her critics, she just, you know, plays the misogynist card, or plays the, you know, body shaming, you know, yeah. whatever card. Uh, she's It's like reverse body shaming. She, I mean, she is, she's a, just, a horrible human being. Uh... She and I agree. This a lot of her critics have said that she's the female Judd Apatow. And her character. Well, it's good they have such a close relationship then. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, he obviously has an influence on her. I mean, he uh-huh. produces the show, but she's her her characters are like, uh, you know, we the term man child has been coined for Judd Apatow characters. She's a woman child. Her characters, especially the lead character. Um, from what I've I've read and seen. Yeah. I watched a few episodes of the show, and it just isn't entertaining to me. Um, but Silicon Valley, <clears throat> in my opinion, is the funniest show on television. 
Uh, a lot of people would say the same thing about Veep. Um, Bill Hader has a comedy coming out called Barry that you brought to my attention. Yeah, which I I am excited about. Uh, he plays a hitman. So who who a hitman who moves to L.A. and gets involved with an like a an acting company. <laughs> so that sounds uh-huh. fun. Yeah. Uh, and Bill Hader's great. So they keep turning out these com- comedic kits, and they've got an even larger list of comedies it looks to hit uh, sometime next year and in, in the next couple of years. Um, I'm not a fan of... I haven't really watched Ballers, but um, for those that loved Entourage, it's like the sports version of Entourage, and The Rock's in it, which we're going to talk about. And, um, you know, it's hard to ever bet against The Rock. Um, so I would never bet against The Rock. Exactly. So, yeah, so HBO's kind of weird. The whole reason we're talking about this is it's just... It's, it's weird. They have such high success rate. So, let me put it this way. The ceiling is so high for their successful shows. Like, Game of Thrones has changed television watching um, in a good way, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, their, their comedies are, are great and win awards. But the downsides of some of their shows... I mean, I guess the creative license they give it to their, um, cr- you know, their creators can be partly to blame they, they don't meddle in it as much but Game of Thrones only has two seasons left they have to come up with a drama that's gonna hit or they're gonna be in trouble I mean you think so? I mean I don't let me rephrase or let, let me let me clarify by trouble I mean I don't think they're gonna be hurting for money because people are still going to have HBO now, HBO Go. People are going to continue to be catching up on past stuff. Um, and I think they're always going to draw talent, so I don't think they're ever going to sink. But it, it looks like a barren wasteland ahead of them. Uh, Westworld has to be good, in my opinion. It has to. They, there's a lot of pressure on them to get that right because they've sunk so much money into it, taken so much time, and they haven't got anything out of it yet, and they don't. They don't really have a lot of. I mean, even even David Simon. I mean, he, The Wire and Show Me a Hero were critical, you know, critically successful. But people didn't watch those shows till they were they were or well, uh, you could say Treme and, and The Wire. Nobody watched those till they were gone until after they were gone. Um, and even The Wire didn't win any awards. It's considered the best show of all time that that never won a single award and. Uh, Critics didn't really recognize it until it was too late. So, I, I don't know. I just, I, I worry, especially, and so we're, I'm taking this in a little bit of a different way, but Showtime has become more of a pulpy, fun, creative alternative to um, to HBO with things like um, Penny Dreadful, which I don't watch, um, Billions, which everybody said was a lot of crazy fun. I, I didn't watch that either, but... They seem to be on a roll. And then Cinemax, which is owned by HBO, has significantly better shows than HBO. The Nick, um, which I've only seen the first episode of The Nick, but because I don't have Cinemax, is awesome. The Steven Soderbergh, um, Clive Owen, turn of the century surgery uh, discovery show. Um, And... Banshee, which just ended its run on television, which was just pure action, fun, um, good alternative, good good alternative to um, drama. Uh, so, I, 
Which is weird to me because these shows on Cinemax, and then Cinemax has the new Robert Kirk, uh, Kirkland, Kirkman, the creator of Walking Dead, his mm-hmm. new show, uh, I think it's called Outsider or something like that, coming so. Well, remind me to avoid that. Yeah, but I mean, he, 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 there's obviously fans of The Walking Dead that are going to flock to that show because they're fanboys. Yeah, I mean, you're just reminding me how out of touch with like broadcast television I am. Who has time to watch all this shit? Like, I haven't even heard of half of these shows. Yeah. I mean, man. There's so much media to consume, and... Uh, it just... Yeah, I'm just going to stick my head back in the hole. This is... Yeah, You're so. making me depressed, man. Well, I think, first of all, I, I think that trying to dramatize HBO's future, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, if you'd asked somebody six years ago, you know where HBO would be now. Nobody knew that Game of Thrones was going to be a wellspring. <laughs> right, you're right. Nobody knew a fantasy crossover would be the like the most talked about show for the last four years. Right. Um, or generate, you know, the amount of money or publicity or whatever. That I mean, I, I think what, what we're seeing now is pretty unprecedented for for them. I mean, it, it is, it's started this conversation about the the role of these premium networks and their creative freedom um, and the quality of content they produce. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure some people were talking about this six years ago, but in today's context with the, you know, we, we talk about the bubble, the TV bubble and the proliferation of streaming and on demand. Um, I mean, this is this is something new, and I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with the, you know, whether or not they have had good, good or bad content before. It's just the timing and the success of this one property. Right. But uh, I feel like HBO's always had like dry spells where there isn't. They might have good shows airing. They might have critically acclaimed shows airing, but. There's not necessarily somebody something like The Sopranos that everybody's watching. No, you're right. That they, that's your hundred percent. They that's true. they uh, they just go through these cycles and eventually something hits and they run it for a few seasons. But they they've had this reputation, you know, for longer than we have been thinking about it in this context. Mm-hmm. So, I you know I think the I think the the interesting angle here is the the dramas. In, in proportion to the, the comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that their only dr- their really big dramatic success right now is this fantasy crossover show where before it was things like The Wire or The Sopranos, you know, what have you. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, who, who knew that <laughs> this, this would be, this would be the, the, their champion, their dramatic champion. But, uh, I certainly don't think that they thought it would be this big. I mean, it just doesn't seem... First of all, it doesn't seem like the type of show that that would be. Like you were saying, like, I mean, I've heard many people, uh, when Game of Thrones first started to pick up steam, say something like, uh, dragons and fantasy, and I just... That just doesn't interest me. And now they're into the show. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's... But that's good, what good television does. Yes, so, yeah. Weiss and Benioff, you know... Not only 
took a little creative license with the with the show, but they also stayed true to the parts of the books that m- made true book lovers happy. Oh, did they? Did uh, they, Brian? I, well, I feel like they have for the most part. I, I mean, I, obviously you don't. <laughs> what, 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 what's your contention? Oh, I, no, I'm just, I'm just being a jerk. Um, oh, I mean, my, my contention with the show was that they, after the first season, they realized that they were moving too fast, oh, okay, and yeah. they just started adding filler and sure. slowing things down and doing dumb TV trope shit to waste time to figure out what they were doing with the show. I think um, I think that was a that's a valid criticism. Definitely, certain storylines. Uh, it like the you know the first Jesus the the first season is is just it, you know it just holds up in my mind as such a great adaptation because they they keep they distill it down to what is essential and what works for TV yeah um, and then the second season is when they start to run the continuities mm-hmm. out in separate timelines like. Yeah. And then by the third season, you know, they have like three different books worth of material going on and you know. So I and you know what that's fine, but it just uh and it really makes it hard to watch as a viewer. I mean, honestly, those those third those third and fourth seasons are well, whoa. God, the possum. possum is fierce, man. <laughs> the third and full uh, of possum rage. The third and um <laughs> the second third season became kind of um tough to watch because you just don't know who is going where and who these characters are and uh, it, it was it, it's tough and I've heard that complaint from people who tried to get into the show now it's like they feel like the task is so daunting because well I, I mean high, look high big serialized high fantasy in books has that problem too but yeah. it just uh, yeah I, I don't know the second season I was getting frustrated with the the pace of the show it compared to the first season and that that was the straw that broke the camel's back. So, so all right, let's talk a little bit about the Rock then. Oh yeah. Let's move on to Ooh. the Rock. Ooh, yeah. Are you a fan of the Rock? I I'm I mean, I'm not. I I don't know how to. I don't know if I would say I'm a fan, but as far as the Rock and film, I I like I always love. Uh. Pretty much, I mean. Anything he does that has an action or a comedic bent, I probably enjoyed. Like things like a San Andreas, I never saw and will never see. It's bad. I've seen it. Um, it's real bad. But even like the rundown, <coughs> like so. So for me, The Rock is the first action hero since Schwarzenegger that doesn't take himself seriously on yeah. screen, like unnecessarily. Like, he's fun. He looks like he's having fun. He is good with comedy, with timing. Uh, yes. Um, and it's it's just... It, it, it. He brings, like, a just a special kind of joy to a lot of the stuff he does. Um, I mean, honestly, he seems like a great dude off-screen, too. Like, that's... I think that's my... My biggest... Like, he, he does a lot of charity work, and he doesn't... You know, he doesn't take himself too seriously in general, like in life, I think. He, he he really seems like somebody who just enjoys life. And um, th- and that's honestly why you don't hear people 
really, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of flack for anything he does. Even the bad films he makes, uh, people still seem to give him a pass because he does it with such tongue-in-cheek, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's like, I, so his cameo in the Reno 911 movie is maybe <laughs> I my forgot all about that. maybe my favorite cameo in any film ever <laughs> because it's it's just like such it's such perfect self parody right uh just ma- it makes me so happy um <laughs> but he you know he's he's big and strong and he can make make fun of himself. So you were talking about uh, Be Cool, where apparently he plays a, you know, I, I don't know, the, is the character somewhat effeminate or? Um, it, no, he's not. He's, over yeah. The t- over the top, maybe? He, or he, 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 a big gay cowboy. A big gay cowboy. I mean, that's, his character is affectionately called several times a big gay cowboy. Um, and... You know, I was like looking over his past um, flicks, and you know, I, one thing that struck me was, so you know, he got his break in the Scorpion or in Mummy Returns uh-huh. and Scorpion King, which I never even saw the Scorpion King. And it wasn't until the rundown that I really, I think, started paying attention to him, like looking over his his past. So here's a picture of Rock and <laughs> and Be Cool. Um, wow, I love it. Yeah. So. Uh, but Be Cool was really when I was like, man, this guy is willing to do just about anything on screen. I mean, the character was just so opposite of like what you thought he was building in Hollywood. Sure, like, yeah. You know, uh, this muscle-bound action hero, and he plays like a, a bodyguard who is sensitive and really just wants to be a country western singer. But he's But he's black and and he's getting gay so it just makes it his road almost impossible for him well so one of the reasons we're talking about the rock right now is um he set the internet a twitter with news that he is signed on to play doc savage in an adaptation a film adaptation i should say of doc savage um but it's That's, especially important because it's going to be directed by Shane Black, um, who we just keep talking about for the last three weeks. Yeah. Uh, doing all these things. Predators and guys who are nice and <laughs> savage docs. Um, so, <laughs> so the fun thing about Doc Savage, and I think why people are so excited about this casting choice, is Doc Savage is, he is a prototypical superhero. So he's like hyper aware, um, enhanced senses, um, very strong, uh, dexterous, um, but he also has like no social skills or filter. <laughs> um, I think, and I think uh, The Rock sent out, The Rock had like a tweet or a press release, but he said, He's, he's literally the master of everything, but, but here's the number one reason I'm excited to become Doc Savage, in all caps. He's a fucking hilarious weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he has zero social graces, 
Every interaction he has with someone is direct, odd, often uncomfortable, and hilarious. So obviously he's read like a preliminary script, or at least they've done, you know, I guess discussion of the the direction they're trying to take the character. Um, so yeah, I would. I think that would be a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, something like a a weird superhero adventure with uh, a socially awkward giant hulking handsome. <laughs> and I can just man, I you know I don't know. I can just see the the, the facial expressions that the Rock is going to make, and like it, he, this is a this is a perfect role for him. I mean, great casting choice, which. You know, Shane Black, he usually casts his films really well, and this is another great choice. Uh, I just, I think, for me, The Rock is perhaps our only true action hero right now. He is. You know, I mean, yeah. we've tried to build other... I mean, you could, I guess you could say maybe Tom Cruise, but... Those any action film Tom Cruise in it is overly serious. Uh, well, the, I think the only other person who I would compare to The Rock as far as the being able to be self-effacing mm-hmm. um, and have fun in roles and still be a convincing ass kicker is uh, Jason Statham. Yeah, um, but The Rock seems The Rock is kind of an American darling, and Statham yeah. has kind of been taking progressively less visible roles mm-hmm. over time um, whereas The Rock seems to be just uh, getting larger and yeah. more visible roles so the, the Rock is signed on potentially to do as many as 15 films in the next 5 years it's just insane so Central Intelligence is coming out Mona is coming out those are both this year next year Fast and Furious 8 Baywatch, Journey to the Center of the Earth 3, Jumanji. Wait, what? They made two Journey to the Center of the Earth I know. I, when you said that, I was like, there was a sequel? Well, and you know why? Uh, so, and then 2018, <laughs> Journey to the Center of the Earth 4, which, am I even reading that right? Yeah. Did I, like, black out and miss some, miss some movies? Um, 2019 Shazam, where he is uh, been officially cast as Black Adam, um, which makes me uncomfortable even to this day, talking about <laughs> right. <laughs> what a what an yeah. Okay, so for the longest time uh, growing up, I had a Shazam character. I didn't know who he was uh-huh. when I was like 14. I like went to it, or no, I was probably like I was probably like 15, 16. And I was old enough to to drive. Uh, I went to a comic book store, and I was just curious who Shazam. And the guy's like, "Oh, Shazam, Black Adam." He's like telling me about it. The comic book store owner tell me about him, and I th- I thought it was Adam as an A T O M, like because who calls somebody Black Adam? Like is it <laughs> that's Adam and that's Black Adam? <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, one like it wasn't until I like actually went and started getting looking at the comics. I'm like, even and so this is you know 18 years ago. I'm like, what? This character is called Black Adam. It's Adam. Uh-huh. I just assumed it was an atom. Yeah. Anyway, we probably just pissed off a bunch of weird DC fanboys. Yeah. Well, um, we probably did that a while ago. That's, that's true. Uh, so yeah, he's Shazam, uh, 2019, Fast and Furious 9, 
2019. <laughs> Fast and Furious 10, 2021. We'll um, see if these get if those get made, but I mean, I the I I feel like there is there is money for it. Uh yeah. Like they have set aside production money. I mean, you know, Din Wiesel is signed on. We um, we know Universal is just aching to have franchises, so <laughs> I'm sure they'll keep it going. They, they are aching indeed. Uh, and then he is he is signed on to movies that are in pre-production or are in like pre-production discussions. So Doc Savage, Jungle Cruise, they were fucking remaking Big Trouble in Little China. God damn it. The Jansen Directive, San Andreas 2, Rampage, which, yes, is the video game. is based off of the Midway Arcade game, um, Skyscraper, Alpha Squad 7, and a potentially a Fast and Furious spinoff title. Um... There are also. Oh like, wait, did you mention Jumanji? I did mention Jumanji. Okay. Uh, which is next year. <laughs> there are also other things he's involved with that are not necessarily still in the works, but have not been officially canceled yet. And there's some really f- weird titles here. Seal Team Six Six Six. I'm really curious what that is. What? Um, not without hope. Uh, un- an untitled Larry Hilblum project. Take My Wife with Tyler Perry, Teddy Bear, um, and there's some other title here, some just untitled Dwayne Johnson action comedy directed by Will Gluck. I don't, I don't know what that is. But good God, this man is just a machine. He's a movie-making machine. Um, and he always seems so excited in his little press releases whenever he is set to do a new film. Um, <laughs> I get. I mean, yeah, he's like a kid in a candy shop. Like, he is. It's yeah. I get to be an actor. I get to do this on screen, uh, and he, yeah, he just seems like a delightful person. I, I, I mean, obviously, he's also a huge box office draw. I mean, San Andreas was a pretty sizable hit, top ten film of last year. I mean, it looked it looked awful. It was. It was awful. What I mean, in those films, it's like you you set up the antagonist to be nature, like nature is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Who wants to? I mean, look, I I'll I watched Dante's Peak on VHS <laughs> my fair share of times, but I was a kid. I didn't know any better. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not gonna lie. I so I get I tend to be a sucker for those movies just because they're so ridiculous and over the top. Um, well, at least I thought myself. I, every time one comes out, I'm like, I want to see that. 2012. Oh man, that movie was awful. It looked awful. And it was. I love John Cusack, but that movie looked awful. And San Andreas, the same thing. I was like, I, I don't want to. I didn't. I waited for it to come out to. to I didn't see it in theater, but uh, it's just. I mean, but it's a. It was such a classic uh, disaster movie with all the tropes you can ask for. Um, I'm not surprised it was successful, and it had The Rock. So. Well, I mean, actually, you know. Alexander Alexandra Daddario, I think that was probably that was a big draw for me as well. Um, she she had her own natural disaster 
on screen. <laughs> Natural disasters flopping around. Disaster's not the right word, but... <laughs> no, it's not. Her, her role was plot-heavy, uh, as they say on the internet. <laughs> she, she was also one of my favorite parts about True Detective Season 1. Okay. Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, men who listen to this podcast... <laughs> Just go to IMDb and uh, look at the cast of San Andreas. You'll be able to figure it out. Yes. Uh, uh, so, you ready? Let's read some emails, dude. Yeah, yeah. I think this is enough. Enough. Uh, Loviating. Whatever we're doing to to the rock, um, <laughs> it's enough. Yeah. All right. You want? I'll let you start out with email from. Okay, so Matt Caldwell emailed us back. Um, he said, good morning. Didn't watch Red Belt yet, so I'll have to get back to you on that one. Yeah, you you do that, Matt. You watch Red Belt. Get in there, wade in, and watch it. So I watched Hush. I'll give it a B-. minus. It kept me entertained with some solid tension, and I thought the deaf angle was pretty original. The actress was pretty fantastic, and the dude was okay. The cat was meh. Look, that cat, cat did a fine job, okay? <laughs> you know how hard it is to control animals on set? Especially cats. They're Especially stubborn. cats. Um, it definitely had some predictable predictability to it, and my Chekhov's gun moment was actually the smoke detector, not the corkscrew. Did uh, what? So the Chekhov's gun for me was her, like, ability to play back d- different hypothetical situations. Not well. Anyway, the biggest what the fuck for me? Well, there were two, but the bathtub thing was beyond bad. Come on, dude pulled a nightcrawler. I guess. Uh, second, I'd rather have seen her bleed out. They both die, fade to black. Instead, it, we were supposed to believe, presume she lives happily ever after, and that just seems silly and cliche. You're right. That is silly and cliche. Um, I wish they had both died and the movie had ended about <laughs> half an hour earlier. Uh, Colin, I think your insight to whether or not dude was ever really in control was super smart, but I don't agree on the movie being as terrible as you think. Other than that, I think any deep dive analysis is too much. I think Brian correctly caught himself in giving the deaf woman is stronger than she realizes and overcomes in the end take. I think you're right. You you gave the movie too much credit. Which I tend to do. I'm not going to... I mean, I do, if, if, a movie, if I enjoy a movie, I will tend to give it the benefit of the doubt when I shouldn't, so... Yeah. But I Still Stand by Hush is a decent movie. I mean, I've seen worse movies. How about that? It was just a... When you recommend something <laughs> we, to me... We probably saw one this week. Yeah. <laughs> or, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, at least Hush took some risks, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the FP... He, Matt goes on to say, the FPS discussion tickled my gamer bone. <laughs> yeah, it did. And instantly brought back memories of loading Wolf 3D through a DOS prompt, Doom, Quake, Duke Nukem, Unreal Tournament, Medal of Honor, and through to today's titles. That, that sentence warmed my heart. Uh, it seems like there's a, a push into the space coming from the hero direction with the recent launches of Battleborn and Overwatch. I played both betas and thought they were both pretty unique takes on FPS and unique to each other. Battleborn seems like FPS meets MOBA, and Overwatch seems to resemble Team Fortress. Have you checked these out, and what do you think? Should we even consider these FPS? Um, and then I'm just going to finish the email, and we'll talk about that. Also, I think that the barrier to entry for VR is way too steep right now. The top players in the market, Oculus and HTC, requires computers with pretty high-end hardware, and I think we're still a couple years away from wide adoption. 
Lastly, what are your thoughts on the recent news they're making a movie out of Marble Madness? <laughs> that's a total joke. That, okay. That's not, I looked that up. That's not happening. Okay. Because that would be the next... Mad, I'm sure, I'm Matt's sure that's trying to, to give me an aneurysm. I'm sure that's going to happen. I mean, after Tetris, you know, I think Marvel, Marble Madness is probably a rich narrative landscape compared to Tetris. So, <laughs> if that were true, yeah. It's coming right after March, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> The tiles. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Let's just... I don't even need... We don't even need to go there. All right. So, FPS games. Yeah. You know, um, and thinking about it, Matt, you you bring up a two really good points that I kind of thought about after the end of my rambling last week. Um, points that were way over my head, by the way, because I don't know what the heck you guys are talking about. And, yeah. And... But I, I, I didn't touch on them. Um, so one is Overwatch, the niche that, over, niche that Overwatch is filling, which um, is a cooperative team-based shooter. Uh, and it is, a, it is totally a TF2 clone. Um, and I, I think maybe... Maybe it's possible we will we will see game, more games in this genre. Um, I think that there are a couple potential problems with that, uh, and the the problems are that you have the two most successful developer publisher teams who have like incredibly popular, incredibly um, polished entries into the genre. So, like, who is going to try and release a game in this space, you know, with... It, it would it, it would be like trying to... I can't even... I'm trying to think we're of a, a market where there are only two competitors. Like, mm. you're trying to... You would, you would be an upstart trying to introduce a third competing product. Um, where... Cable providers... Yeah. Oh, I mean, just TF2 has been around for so long. It's so popular. Um, they've iterated on it so many times. It's free. Um, it's incredibly polished. There is a lot of value uh, in the items market. Adds a lot of replayability. Um, but it's just a great formula. I mean, I spent not as many hours playing Team Fortress Classics as I did Counter-Strike. But it's... They, you know... There's a reason they scrapped it, started over, um, and and it ended up taking so long to get out because they wanted to do it right. And it's it's a huge game. And Overwatch, you know, Blizzard, Activision, they for them to try and push into this market um, and compete with TF2, which I think they're doing successfully, especially because TF2 does not have a current gen console release. Um, I think they had to, they had to really you know take risks, um, and it it looks like they're going to be successful. So I I think I think there is a a desire for these games for these competitive team based um, class based shooters. I, I you know that's probably what what we should call them. Sure. Class based co op shooters. Yeah, that's yeah. what I would call them. Uh, that's what Brian would call them. <laughs> um, the problem is I don't know who. Who is gonna like try and compete with Overwatch and with TF2? Um, 
And then Battleborn is part of a, a new trend in games, which is absolutely a first-person shooter MOBA hybrid, like you talked about. And the first one of these I remember seeing was Smite, which has been around three or four years, I would guess, at this point. And I think just got a console release not too long ago. Um, and I, I had a lot of friends who really liked Smite, and I hated it because it was one of the most poorly optimized games I've ever installed uh, back when it was uh, an early release. Um, but, you know, the, the concept is solid. Um, there have been a bunch of attempts to try and meld the genres, and I don't think there have been any breakthrough hits yet. Um, Battleborn, there are a good amount of people playing it, a good amount of people talking about it. Uh, whether or not this is the title to bring, like, s kind of cement the idea of a FPS MOBA hybrid as a genre, I don't know. But I think this is this is a market that is untapped still, and I think we're going to be seeing a lot of these in the future, at least until uh, a big one catches on, or maybe if none of them hit it big, then. Uh, yeah, we'll keep seeing these forever, but there, I think there is a demand there, and we'll see. Yeah, there, there haven't been any major hits yet. And as far as VR, um, I think we are a long way from wide adoption. Um, you know, Sony, PlayStation, uh, is they have a, a headset coming, and that is going to be the lowest barrier for entry. Uh, because all you need is a PS4 and the camera, right. um, which is arguably cheaper than a nice... I mean, it, I don't know. It's it's probably similarly priced to a, a mid-range gaming PC at this point, depending on how well you build it. But uh, the problem with that is it's not, it's not a 4K-enabled VR device. It's just 1080p, um, which some people say is, you know, just unusable. So... Well, I you know I th I think we are we're still a long way. I think early adopters will be the people with way too much money to spend right. on gaming gadgets and peripherals. And uh, as far as the mainstream market, it's going to be a long time before there's any reason to bother with it, this stuff. It's so. weird because the usually when when this technology comes out or when um, when consoles make a, a leap to another level, there's a, a stepping stone in between. Um, and in my mind, I'm thinking of um, Sega CD or uh, Wii. Um, the, the original Wii um, was kind of a novelty. And then you had um, the Xbox version. Was it, was it Move? Connect. Connect. Move is PlayStation, right? Which sucks. Um, but, but the Connect, I mean, in the Connect, everybody's standards, which was just so much better than anything else out there. But it wasn't. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't use it, but... Yeah. Um, and maybe that is a stepping stone to VR, because, I mean, uh, it, it kind of is similar. Um, I, I just don't know... I mean, some of some of what you, what you see with VR is the, the ability to move your body around in, a, in an area, uh -huh. right? So not very people have the space or the ability to get a large VR machine. So 
right now everything is about the headset. And I just, to me, $700 for putting my face really close to the screen and getting rid of other sensory uh, distractions just seems kind of silly. Well, there's, so with the, the controllers, there is another level of integration, but I think you'd be surprised how interactive having a, you know, a full world to turn and look around to to just have like the camera track your eyes. That's true. Is not being able to. Yeah, to you're. I mean, you're literally visually inside a game world. That combined with, you know, two two controllers, one in each hand I mean, of some sort. Don't you is, feel like there still needs to be a, a that's still a space issue? I feel like. Uh, I mean, it it depends on what you're. <laughs> yeah, what you're doing and how how good your body kinesthetics, kinesthetics, I don't know, yeah, are. Like, if you are just clumsy, then, yeah, it's probably a bad idea. (laughs) If, if, you know, if you can clear a little space in your living room and kind of be aware of your body, maybe. uh, Right. um, Yeah, I don't know. Well, great email. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Matt. Um, So our friend across the pond, Adam Etheridge, uh, sent us another email. Yeah. Uh, And thanks again to all of our listeners who write in. Uh, We will always read your emails online uh, or on the podcast live. Um, We appreciate any feedback at midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. So, yeah. All right, so... Adam says, hello again, gents. Uh, right. <laughs> first things first. I stopped the podcast as instructed to watch Hush before I listened to your review. Frankly, I landed somewhere in the middle of the pair of you. It was an acceptable distraction, but certainly not a film that I would recommend to anyone. I'm glad that the running time was short, as it was in danger of outstaying its welcome. I'm glad you mentioned your next in, in your review, and whilst I was watching Hush, I couldn't help but think back to your next and think I'd rather be watching that. Fair enough, fair enough. I think that's what I said. Fair enough, Adam. Um, Okay, so to your question. I found (laughs) the Midnight Film Review through an app that I use called Podcast Addict. So we asked Adam, you know, or just threw it out there, how are people finding us? Obviously, we want more people to listen to us because we want to infect the world with our um, diseased (laughs) minds. Um, And just, this is interesting. Never heard of Podcast Addict, but um, good to know that... We'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. we're on that. Um, I work as a driver and listen to podcasts all day uh, while I'm doing it. I frequently check to see if there are any new podcasts in, this er- in the areas that interest me. I found yours by searching for the words film review. Film uh-huh. yeah. review. Matt, you hear that? Film, film review. review. I found some of them and others, but have ditched them. have ditched a lot as they are more, more than a little wank. Uh, while we're on the subject of searching for film reviews, I also checked the phrase movie review as brought up by one of the listeners in the latest podcast. But these ones were already on a short leash for, for the use of the word movie. Admittedly, Midnight Movie Review has a satisfying alliteration to it, but movie is a shitty word. So well done <laughs> to you for avoiding it. Thanks. Shots fired. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having our back. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, next up, I think we should tackle the ethnic profiling of me, which turned out to be correct. I am a football soccer fan. I also drink a lot of tea and have terrible teeth. I actually, I'm actually from a nearby city of Coventry, though, so have a passionate hatred for uh, Leicester, which uh, we I think we were pronouncing Leicester. I said Leicester. Leicester. Le- well, it's pronounced Leicester. Yeah, Leicester. Unless you're from Leicester, then you pronounce it Leicester. Leicester. 
uh, as they're poorly educated inbreds. Wow. Shots fired again. Coventry and Leicester have a rivalry in it, as in the Yankee Red Sox vein. Thank you for equating it to our small American minds. Thank you. Um, <laughs> except no one outside of Coventry has noticed or cares. Um, I'm more interested in proper American football anyway and have been a Dolphins fan for over 30 years. Guess what? Me too. I'm a Dolphins fan. That's why we're attracted together. Sorry. You're attracted together? Attracted to each other. Yeah. Sorry. I got really excited. How, how many Super Bowl, Super Bowl rings do the Dolphins have? In the last 30 years. In the last 30 years? None. Uh-huh. Um, I'm glad that's working out for yeah, you. Anyways. <laughs> uh, I, he works as a statistician for the NFL at the Wembley Games. Humble brag. Great job, Adam. Go Dolphins. Uh, I think that covers everything except to say thank you, Brian, for recommending Astounding Le- Legends. Uh, I'm not listening to all the back catalog as, I fa- as I'm not that fussed. Uh, that's a... Okay. I guess that's a British slang uh, about ghost stories but the ones I've cherry picked have been excellent if you have any other recommendations I'd appreciate it so thanks again for the email um, <clears throat> I, I give all kinds of different um, podcast recommendations um, on here uh, unfortunately I haven't really had a lot of time to listen to uh, new ones or different ones um, if you like uh, Astounding Legends you, you may like Lore which I recommended uh, way way back when we first started doing this um, but if that may be too supernatural for you um, yeah there's there's a great podcast called Criminal which it's super popular so you may have heard that's fun they're short episodes and they take weird strange crimes here in America and uh, talk about how they happened or um, how they were solved so um, I'm always going to look for new always on the lookout for new podcasts so if i find one that's interesting you will hear it in our media hot takes so glad you like astonishing legend though great show um they're doing it they're doing they're doing something special over there so thanks again adam for the email yeah we uh we're 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 chuffed that you keep writing us <laughs> there there was my there was my english slang british slang for for the day and this is this is getting really uh What's the proper term? Well, I don't know what you're trying to say. So I, I, I was uh, trying to say I was thinking of high class. I was like the Brits class it up. Uh huh. Um, but yeah. Anyways, um, so that's so I, I, he pretty much uh, summed up film. It's versus, yeah versus movie. Uh huh. So th- thanks again for that, Adam. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's gonna do it for emails. Yeah. And um, I oh. think. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys, for writing us. It's it has just been like so nice to actually get some emails um, yeah. over the last couple of weeks. It's really cool. uh, makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, so yeah, email us midnightfilmreview@gmail.com. Thanks for telling me I was right and <laughs> Hush was horrible and nobody liked it and Brad was wrong. Uh, <laughs> we will be right back with some media hot takes. Love it, I love it. Uh, do you want to go first? Uh, me I mean, first? yeah. Why don't you go first? We've we've got a lot of video game talk this episode. Yeah, uh, which is fine. I it's just it, it's not something that I am normally good at because I play very video games very sparingly. But 
uh, as I've said before, one of my favorite types of video games is, um, I don't, I always want to say choose your own adventure, but I don't know. I I would, let's just say adventure games. So, um, I found one recently, um, called, um, Life is Strange. Um, had extremely great reviews. It was recommended for me, um, I guess on my past, uh, purchasing behavior. I don't know. People are tracking me. Big Brother is watching. Yeah. Um, And selling you video games. (laughs) Exactly. So basically the video game starts out and you are um, a young lady in uh, high school. You're a senior at a um, private art school um, who enjoys taking photos. And as the game first starts out, I'm like, why why would this be recommended for me? This game seems odd. It's you know it's a high school drama is the way it starts out, but you quickly come to find out that uh, you can control time, you can rewind things that don't go in your favor, and uh, but there's consequences for every action that you rewind and um, the decisions that you make. Um, and so basically the story goes, you overhear a conversation in the bathroom between two students. And one has a gun and threatens to kill the other one. Um, And uh, you have to make a decision to save the the, the student's life. Um, Like, you don't have a choice over that. They make you rewind and make you save their life. And once you get past that, though, you can decide on uh, whether or not to inform the authorities or the principal or to lie and hide this um, and from there it takes you down a path of uh, it's it gets dark mm-hmm. it gets dark quickly and it gets uh, it, it definitely becomes a story about how decisions affect your life mm-hmm. and um, I was immediately sucked in once it got to this point because the game is very well written um, which, when you're not, when there's not a lot of actions and you're only choosing to make decisions for your character, that is very important. The story is important um, to keep to keep going. Um, the studio I don't think is very popular. Uh, Colin, you would know, but the production of the game it doesn't look great. Uh, in fact, I would say it looks like it could be a PS3 game. I don't think being on PS4 really gives it anything. Well, I mean, it it actually is was released simultaneously on both platforms, and it's it's from 2015, so the end of 2015. So I mean, it's not that old, but uh, it's the I think the focus is actually it's in it's it was programmed in Unreal Engine three, so it's weird that it doesn't look good, but yeah. I mean, there are times uh, in certain instances where it looks it looks okay, but for the most part, it's it's not great. the the um, The humans look very bad, put it that way. Um, but the game's fun. I'm looking forward to playing more episodes. Uh, there's five episodes, so I would check it out if you're interested in, in um, the Wolf Among Us or any of the Telltale games. It's very similar to that. Um, check it out. Life is strange. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to do a partial media hot take, maybe a media warm take, <laughs> on, uh, on Doom, which 
you know, I was previously calling Doom 4. It's, I mean, people are calling it Doom 2016. I think it's a, I mean, it's, it's a reboot in a lot of ways, but it doesn't really matter uh, at the same time. Um, so I, I did not realize that um, this was a, a Bethesda game, um, that they were, Bethesda published it. Um, not that that matters, but the the it's not just ID. ID is not just the developer publisher. Um, and what I was really curious about was how they were going to make this gameplay work. Um, we talked about I talked about that last week uh, because in this era of military cover based shooters, how do you how do you make a fast paced, twitchy, arena style game accessible, and how do you make it fun? Uh, and the way they did that was you take a lot of damage in combat and in order to stay alive you have to kill things to get health pickups to continue the fight um, and the way that plays out is basically very frantic um, <laughs> encounters where you, you start an engagement and stuff is spawning and you are just moving and shooting and getting in for the the finishing the finishing blow to get that little extra health pick up, um, and it just turns into especially if it's you know if you haven't died and replayed something like five times, um, just a chaotic and confusing and exciting and adrenaline filled uh, adrenaline filled demon shooting rampages. <laughs> um, I you know watching the trailers for the game, they show the like the fin this finishing move mechanic like a million times, um, which looked ridiculous to me. But, but what that is is basically if you take an enemy down to just just a sliver of health, um, you can do a finishing move that gives you a few frames of invulnerability. Um, and then gives you extra health pickups. So it's a way to help you with target selection, um, target priorities in these fights. Like, you know, that thing is about to die. Do I want to rush in and try and stomp it to death to get a few extra health <laughs> pickups, or am I going to die trying to do that because I already have, like, one health left uh, as it is? Um, the... The, the level design is fun. There's a big focus on RPG elements that I didn't really see coming. Um, there, there are a lot of different... There are three different, or maybe even four different, depending on how you look at it, um, progression mechanics in the game. Um, there are weapon mods. There are weapon upgrades for those weapon mods. There is... <laughs> there are armor upgrades. There are health... Um, and ammo upgrades. Um, there is a rune system, which is kind of like a, an ability augmenting mechanic. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on that I did not expect. And it doesn't feel like they're trying to shoehorn a bunch of different genres into uh, one package. It all fits together really well. Um, the weapons... There, you know, there's no iron sights. There are, there's a fire and an alternate fire, um, and 
the the gunplay is really what shines. Um, there, I feel like they there's a good amount of um, variety in in the combat in the gunplay. They really make you switch weapons um, to you know make the best use of your ammo. Um, the the jumping and platforming mechanics I was not expecting really feel good, especially for a first person shooter. Um, some of the best jumping and platformings in a game like this I have ever played, uh, and it just it all comes together really well. The it's not it is not Doom Three. This is not a foray into survival horror. This is a over the top, ridiculous, adrenaline pumping, action blood gore, twitchy shooter. Um, and when it works well, it is a lot of fun. Uh, the you know the the aesthetic of the game is a little bland. The color palette is is very like red. And brown saturated, which is fine because they want you to feel like it's on Mars. Um, but the the level design itself is really good, um, and I you know I feel like it's sixty bucks well spent. Um, I have not gotten a chance to play multiplayer yet, but there is uh, there is a game mode called Snap Maps, which is basically a user um, content creation suite. So you can build levels uh, and share them and play them, um, which adds a, another big, um, a, a, another, another area of longevity aside from just, you know, deathmatch or whatever. So yeah, my, I, I haven't gotten enough time to play. I think I'm probably roughly halfway through the campaign. Um, but so far it is a blast. Um, it's a throwback and a modern game at the same time. And I think, uh, you know, even if you're not a big fan of the narrative, um, which is, I think is kind of, it's, it's both a stereotype and kind of a parody of the, the stereotype at the same time, which is weird, but, um, the, the important things are the, the mechanics of how the game plays and how it feels. And I think they, ID nailed that. So Doom, a lot of fun. Um, Check it out if it sounds like it's something you're interested in. Very cool. I think that's going to do it for Media Hot Takes. Um, Hold on to us. Don't let go. We'll be right back with uh, some fire in a jar. All right. We are back with a review, spoiler-free, of X-Men Apocalypse, the third or sixth or eighth film in the X-Men universe. I'm not really sure at this point. I am sure I don't really care at this point which one it is um, they or don't what either, the continuity apparently. is. Uh, it, I mean, it's it's most certainly a the third film in this most recent iteration. Um so the sequel to Days of Future Past um, and the third film in the X-Men First Class, the, the trilogy that started with X-Men First Class. Um, these last two films have been develop, developed, directed by Brian Singer, um, probably written by a million people. 
Actually, uh, just written by Simon Kinberg. Simon Kinberg. Yeah. Did he write for? Who wrote? He wrote Future Past. Who wrote? See who else wrote it. Because. I just I find it hard to believe that. Yeah. Simon Kinberg, Matthew Vaughn, Jane Goldman. Well. Anyway, um, so this film, um, I guess they're doing a ten-year ten chronological chronological jump with every film. So, uh, Apocalypse takes place in the early '80s, um, and features a world where Magneto, um, Eric Leshner, is still on the is on the run after the events of. Days of Future Past, uh, and I, I, I don't, they don't really do a whole lot else to set the stage. Um, Mystique slash Jennifer Lawrence is being mysterious, save, saving random mutants, I guess. And, Doing weird stuff, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I mean... You want to do a, a plot synopsis? I, yeah, yeah, we should probably do a plot synopsis. I, I just was kind of scouring because uh, for different writers, um, and I'll give my reasoning for that uh, in a minute. But um, it says, with the emergence of the world's first mutant apocalypse, the X-Men must unite to defeat his distinction-level plan. His extinction-level plan? Um, I mean, you could almost sum this up like, Superheroes confronted by ancient evil who wants to destroy the world must band together in order to defeat him. Yeah, I mean, you could, yep, yeah. you it, you know, just just make up a cliche superhero story plot synopsis, and that's that is that's a plot synopsis for X Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you wanna. So I, I, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent <clears throat> because uh, I've always loved the X-Men films. I thought the first one was great. And I've never known why. <laughs> uh, the second one, uh, X, X-Men... Uh, uh, why? I just forgot the name of the second film. X2? X2. Uh, X-Men United, I think is what it was called. But yeah. um, uh, a lot of people hail that film as one of the best comic book uh, movies of all time. Uh, it still stands up to this day, in my opinion. I, I really love it. It's by far the best out of all all the X-Men movies. Um, and then The Last Stand was a complete failure. And X-Men Apocalypse mirrors X-Men The Last Stand on several levels. Uh, from the plot to what it what our characters are faced with specifically Jean Grey and uh, Xavier. Like, literally the things that happen in The Last Stand are very similar to the things that happen in X-Men Apocalypse. Um, Cerebro gets taken over and uh, all the uh, mutants are revealed to uh, Magneto and they're going to turn every human into a mutant which seems to kind of be the idea behind this. Not necessarily every human into a mutant, but to kill all the humans and put them under submission so that mutants rule. Um, I mean, this feels like a film 
from the late '90s, early 2000s. This doesn't feel. This doesn't feel like a new wave comic book movie. There's so many weird choices that Singer makes here, and I was kind of looking at who wrote these movies. So, I really enjoyed X Men: First Class. I thought that this was that was uh, oh, a nice return to form from. Uh, Last Stand and Wolverine Origins and that was written by Matthew Vaughn who um, did Kick-Ass which I was a fan of and Kingsman which I wasn't a huge fan of but uh, he wrote that along with a couple of writers who've written for TV and had done some pretty interesting things and Simon Kinberg is the one who's written the last two X-Men movies who just happened to be the writer of The Last Stand so and, you know, I, th- this film has one of the thinnest plot narratives. It just does. It doesn't. It makes sense, I guess, from uh, a, a narrative perspective. But these characters have no arc, and the characters who he does choose to give an arc to are just. It. I don't know. Ma- Magneto's motivation um, is understandable but at the same time it just feels shoehorned in uh, I, I mean how it's, it's how, this is just the third the third time we we're seeing the same dilemma yeah how many times is he going to get pissed for people hurting people close to him and then have to just turn to the side of evil only to have to be confronted with his choice and make Redecide at the end of the film. <laughs> it's, um, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so I, I mean, I would give this film like a six out of ten, sure. maybe if, yeah, maybe a six and a half if I was being generous. Um, this film was not bad, but it mm-hmm. is so relentlessly mediocre. Like it just avoids taking risks or being interesting or nuanced at every possible turn um my favorite part of the film was the the first scene um i i think the first 20 minutes the half hour pretty fun just just the first scene um for me really which is the basically they introduce you to and i don't think this is spoilers they introduce you to apocalypse's character in ancient egypt Mm -hmm. um where he is Basically, an uprising by humans seals him in a tomb um, until he awake awakens in present time. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that scene. I thought the it, it's well thought out. The idea that he is he can be overthrown by humans is fun and powerful. Um, and then the movie just never goes anywhere. You start with a generic character reintroduction slash recruitment slash gathering of the gathering of the protagonists that's like the first part of the movie and then there is a sort of a crisis and sort of a climax and it just I mean this 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 is like the most one of the most flat films that's a great way to put it it's very flat it's it feels a bit lifeless yeah, um, mechanical. Just uh, and it's unfortunate because I think Oscar Isaac gives a pretty fun performance. 
Yeah, it's just... It, and that's... So, walking out of the theater, um, there are so... There's so much talent in this film. James McAvoy, I think... I You know, I wasn't a huge fan of him when he first got big, but you can tell in this film that he he has grit. He he has talent. He's capable of so much more than this. And th- this. I'm, all right, but James McAvoy, Fassbender, one of the greatest actors of what, working now in Hollywood. Jennifer Lawrence, great actress, critically acclaimed, huge star. Um, but Oscar the, Isaac, <laughs> incredibly talented, up and coming yeah, young actor. Just, it's, it's silly. Fucking nuts! You have like four, just four incredible actors playing the leads, and <laughs> this film just has nothing to offer. They and, don't give them a chance to act. And Evan Peters as Quicksilver is great. I mean, he is a great actor. He uh, he has talent. Have you seen American Horror Story? I mean, I have. I I. I think the first season he was really good. I've heard that this last season he, which I haven't seen, the hotel one, he's actually, this is his best performance in the entire okay. series. Okay, because uh, Freak Show, he was not good. Really? He was awful. I mean, there. I thought he was great as Quicksilver. I, I you know, he, I, yeah, he's he's a lot of, he does fine in this role. I think he, he the role is like tailored for him. Yeah. For him. In fact, I, 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 and this to me is a no-brainer. They keep wanting to do a dead Deadpool X-Men spinoff. Why not team those two characters up together? Uh, I don't know. If, well, I mean, usually, like, comic book history kind of dictates That's, I mean, whether or not... I mean, X-Men has ruined... They've retconned literally everything that they've done, first of all, in this movie. Everything... All the past movies are just put in the toilet and flushed... Well, the continuity is gone. That's what the, that was the point of Days of Future Past is they just they have like a, f- a free reset button, right? Yeah, I suppose, but I mean, there's no consequences. I mean, you don't feel any consequences from the last film in this other than like I don't understand what Mystique is doing. We, we never get a clear I, it just feels like a reason to put Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender in a movie because they don't do anything. But to be fair, nobody nobody does anything that's, in this film. That's I true. mean, <laughs> the it's it's kind of hard to talk about without spoilers, but everything is just there. It just feels like it is so without consequence. Um, they don't spend any time uh, with Apocalypse as a villain. They mm-hmm. they don't. So the the idea of Apocalypse, the reason he is. The Age of Apocalypse storyline was so big and important is because he is he's basically a god. Like he's this ancient mutant. He has been able to inherit all these powers. He has come into possession of um, technology that uh, belonged to whatever the I forget the original race of beings that created the Infinity Gems and like complete with a computer with their entire repository mm-hmm. of knowledge he is he is just outclasses the X-Men and everybody else by such a huge degree he he crushes them he cr- he destroys their hope um and their will and that's what makes him you know compelling mm-hmm. and he just sort of shows up they don't explain his powers 
His, his visually, powers are not defined at all. I, I mean, I guess he can control atoms, or not, maybe not atoms. Maybe he can just <laughs> we don't know. move molecules. We don't around. know. It doesn't. We have no idea. Yeah, it's it not just, defined. Yeah, he can enhance the powers of other mutants, but yeah. does that mean he controls? Like, is it a power? I, I mean, think his the the biggest power he has is um, he's a very persuasive speaker because. Somehow he just convinces people to follow him. He's like a cult leader, is what it seemed like. Like it, that was to me was the biggest problem I had. Like uh, we don't know what his powers are. He he he's a, It seems like he is going to be this. Uh, his name's Apocalypse. He seems like this going to be this cataclysmic. Sorry, I can't speak as usual. Force of nature, but we don't. I mean. He, at one point, he just snaps his fingers and people die. So, can he just kill anybody he wants to? I mean, I don't know. We saw that happen in one scene. He uses his... Well, he no, he just... You're talking about... In the metal fact. Uh, yeah. We're starting to get into spoiler territory, but... No, that, that has to do with molecular... They don't just... Molecular control or whatever his... He, like... You, you know, well, I I I think that ties into whatever visual consist the visual consistency. But he literally just nods and they die. He does. There is no outside force that kills these people. They oh, really? literally just drop to the floor. Okay, I don't know. I just, but it's one of those things where it's it's like he's evil and he's going to purge life to reshape it in a direction that he sees fit and the best way to go about that is to like destroy the all the infrastructure that has been built like and build I another just, pyramid I don't, I don't know and they they go an interesting way with it for like two seconds and then it was a lie and it's not really interesting there's no deeper thought but just th- this whole movie feels pointless there you know there's no no emotional investment on behalf of the characters um they bring in a bunch of new characters to be bad guys you know and you don't care about them Mm -hmm. or the choices they've made or why they're there or what happens to them because you don't know anything about them because you've spent five minutes of screen time with them so far yeah and there's no you know you're never in fear of like serious consequences to any of the characters you do know because they're I mean there's only like four of them too they bring in a bunch of new characters and you know who's going to live because obviously they're not going they're probably not going to kill Scott Summers and Cyclops and Jean Grey and yeah. you know it's just it's just like well let's 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 go ahead and why just... why did this film happen what was the point of this film uh there, so days of future past. I might I didn't, you know, I didn't end up liking it as much as I wanted to. The third act kind of falls apart for me. But that film took risks. There were questions behind that film, questions of you know whether it's better to hide and fit in or to stand out and fight, whether violence or pacifism is the answer. Um, there are no questions being asked in this film. There is nothing deeper. This is just a... It's... 
I, I compare it to a early 90s. I mean, this is just action for the sake of action. This is just, oh, look at this cool power that this person has. Look at this cool beam of light that Cyclops can shoot out of his eyes. Yeah, there's there's no depth. This is just super shallow. Um, don't don't spend your money on this. Like that that's what I'm gonna say. If you haven't seen this film yet, don't wait wait till it comes out and is showing on HBO or something. You yeah, know, and agreed. just it, it makes but just don't don't bother. Again, it makes Civil War look just even better in my eyes. It does. Let's uh let's go ahead and jump into spoilers. Yeah, for, we can't. Ru- I, usually, I say let's ruin it, but we can't really ruin this film. We can just get angry talking about it so we'll be right back with some spoilers of x-men crepocalypse what honey wow are you kidding me you just ruin it every time i'll see you at home wait a second how would you not know that that was taking place and here we are um so there's two okay i keep getting stuck on this uh because i feel like i did find the film somewhat enjoyable in areas specifically how over the top it was and how just, uh, I mean, shameless. This film is shameless. So you, we talked before a little bit about the Quicksilver scene, which it's so over the top and so ridiculous that I loved it. I just, I'm like, if this film just embraced this side, which it, the thing that's frustrating about that though is First Class and Days of Future Past went to great lengths to make this serious make it have consequences and this film goes to great lengths to not give a shit about his characters mm-hmm. I mean it actually you had to work at how little they focus on any any character um, and even Quicksilver is a great example so for the last 10 years this guy's just been living in his basement supposedly looking for his father who is Magneto which he knows is Magneto um, just that just seems so ridiculous to me um, and but, but he shows up at the uh, uh, school for mutants and saves these people and it's just so over the top and like you 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 had said it it feels like they're just cashing in on what they did in the last film yeah so it, you know that scene in Days of Future Past was almost universally regarded as like the best part of the film mm-hmm. like the scene the scene is just it stands on its own like the the direction, the cinematography, the 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 way they score it, um, it was so fun to watch and fit the character well. Like the way he, the way he interacts with the scene, you get a feel for his sense of humor. And just such a good scene. And this was just a shameless cash in. Like it's it's enjoyable because you are thinking about Days of Future Past, but. Like at the same time, it's just this is this is all they had to offer, is. I mean, I I don't know. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, and I also enjoyed when he's fighting Apocalypse at the end. I thought that particular part of the climax was enjoyable, mm-hmm. um, and you can kind of see uh, him getting cocky and just. 
I don't know. I really love that character. To me, that's the best part of the film is the Quicksilver character. But again, there's nothing really really is done with the character in the film. There's nothing new about him. <laughs> well, they I mean they rely on the characterization they did in the last film. Yeah. And just import him. Yeah, pretty much. And that's what I'm saying. Ten years has passed. Yeah. This character hasn't changed at all. He's not bitter. Still He's, a, a quirky teenager. Yeah. A, Ten years a later. A quirky twenty eight year old teenager <laughs> yeah, living like, in mom's basement. So uh, and then the other part. Uh, again, this is a shameless. For no reason at all, they they bring out Wolverine. I mean, literally, <laughs> no reason at all. That, I mean, that was just la- and people on the internet are talking about like it's the best screen time Wolverine's ever had. Like, finally we saw Weapon X kicking ass. There was blood. Like, it's just fuck you guys. It, it's just shorn in the film for no reason. And it's, but I mean, it. The and the other problem I have with that, it's they. It feels like. They took a team of scientists and precision engineered a R feeling action scene in a PG thirteen yeah, movie. Yeah. Like it's there's like blood after the fact and blood splatter. Yeah, it's, it's just it it felt so tacky and so cheesy. The the use of the use of violence uh, and the way they avoid but. Im- imply and show violence all at the same time it was like it was it was confusing for well, my brain yes it, it was conf- trying to process it like and so this is the part that really killed the movie for me if you remember at the end of x-men days of future past wolverine is pulled out of the water onto uh-huh. a boat by colonel striker uh-huh Except for the very last shot of the film, Stryker turns, and you realize it's actually Mystique. Uh-huh. So, what the, what the fuck happened? How? What? I thought Mystique had Wolverine. That's what they led me to believe. They told me that this is going to be a different timeline. That weapon Is Weapon X going to happen, or is Weapon X not going to happen? What? So, why even do that? Well, and so what happened with like, and also what what happened to Mystique and Eric at, to Magneto at the end of last the last film? Like, right. I thought Mystique was off like fighting a war, but in, instead she she just like shows back up at the mansion. She's like, "Oh hey, missed you guys," and they're like, "Oh hey, girl, missed oh, you. What, what you been up to? Oh my god, you're back. Saw those beach selfies. Yeah, like yeah, totally like, jealous. Like I just uh, what." Wait, why? Why is this okay? What what happened? What, I mean... And so, that is what... So my, my, my biggest problem with X-Men Apocalypse is it feels like Brian Singer's just being self-indulgent and saying, uh, this should be in this movie, so it's going to be in this movie. For no reason. We have... If you're, it just is so frustrating. You have, he has no reverence to his own creation. X Men: Future Past, Days of Future Past. He doesn't. He doesn't show any re- reverence for that at all. He doesn't show any reverence for X Two. He doesn't show any. Like, this is what made you a millionaire. This is what brought you to this place. And I just, I think that he just took a dump on the X Men. And you, you, you phrase it in a different way, uh-huh. um, which I was so hoping that you would say. But it, I just. I don't want him to make any more of these movies. I think that there is a place... I mean, there is a place for the X-Men in, in comic books. 
there is a place for for this cast even in the, in these roles. But um, I don't want to see anything else by Brian Singer in this in this area. Yeah, in in some of those shots where they are just it's like Magneto is using his power to. Oh yeah, and what what is like he's going <laughs> to pull all of the every metal every molecule of metal out of the earth and bring oh, it to Egypt? It doesn't make sense. What, I mean, to pull all the iron out of the core of the, the planet? Like, what, what? Why? What? Who's why? What? How? What? How does that... What? And just stuff like that. And those huge, unnecessary CG shots of the giant worms of... Which are dust horrible. Dust and horrible. The CGI was horrible in this film. I mean, whether or not it was horrible, it just, like, visually unnecessary. Like... Okay, we get it. They're capable of doing this dumb thing that doesn't make any sense on a grand scale. Like, I just... <laughs> I, I don't know. I... I um, I'm... I'm well, we can probably end it now. I don't really know what else. We can, we're beating a dead horse. This feels like a lot like... So I lost hope for the film when they kill Eric's wife and daughter... And it's a, it's an okay scene, and it's compelling. And then this dude with an arrow knocked and a bow not really drawn kills his wife and child with one arrow. And it's, like, so unnecessarily compl- or comical, you know? And I know it's not trying to be, but it's, like... We have to accidentally kill them both with one <laughs> stroke. How do we do this? Like, we'll just, they're just standing next to each other and one arrow kills both of them. Like, really? You think the audience, that's going to connect emotionally for the audience? Like, it doesn't. I don't know, whatever, just do it. And it, it's like, it's just weird. It just feels weird and wrong. And then it's silly. And then I can't take it seriously. Uh, and then the. Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about is this movie has some of the worst dialogue I've had to sit through uh, in a while. <laughs> yeah. Like, just horrible, awful dialogue. So Eric, like, falls to his knees and he's like, is uh, this what you want from me? Yeah, that was... Is this what you want me to be? Um, or, like, when Jean Grey, when Jean is talking to Scott about I know exactly brother, what you're talking about, too. It's like... Just the most atrociously written, cringeworthy dialogue. Like I was I'm, cringing in the theater. I know what listening. Thinks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or like he was supposed to be the one to make a difference. That's not what he thought. He thought you were going to be the one to make a difference. He thought you were going to change the world. How do you know that? I know what everything. I know what oh everyone thinks. Oh my god. Oh or he God. says, how, how did you know what he How thought? would you know it? Yeah. I know what everyone thinks. But I'm... Uh, we should point out that those two actors, uh, Sansa Stark, I know, uh, Sophie Turner, and uh, was it Ty Sheridan that played yeah. Scott Summers, they were, uh, they were extremely bad. Ty I Sh- mean, they weren't was, good. No, they were... Um, weren't good. That, that they, they were by far... Uh, the, I, well, I never thought Sophie Turner was... She, I always thought she was like the weak link on in Game of Thrones yeah. too. <laughs> uh, I agree. But she has red hair, you know. So Jean Grey, boom. But um, Cody Smith Fia's Nightcrawler, um, 
I thought was didn't get enough screen time. I agree. You like how they teased you with Jubilee, like they made you think Jubilee might be a character, yeah. And then they don't even they don't even give her a name, like introduce her character no. by name at any point. She's just hanging she out. She just with and they just leave her behind. They're like, we just went to the mall with this this Asian chick. <laughs> you, you're staying here. Leave that bitch in the car. We got shit to do. <sighs> yeah, Kurt, get us out of here. That was. <laughs> that was that that was embarrassing. Just yeah. oh, and why why did they have to bring more more McTaggart back into this film? What did it doesn't bring anything? <laughs> it doesn't do anything for the plot at all. And, and they they have that weird like comic relief setup with Xavier at the beginning that just it feels out of place. You're like, wait, are we picking up from like first class again? Yeah, like, right. Where did this come from? Really, it was like the only reason she was there is I mean, it's her fault that Apocalypse gets brought back. No, it's not. Well, she leaves the door open and the sunlight comes through. They've been doing this seance, whatever, with the door shut. Oh, she yeah. She opens and leaves the door open, and the sunlight is what gives him the power. I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, they set that up from the very beginning of the movie, and the sunlight. Well, yeah, yeah. Opening, I mean, so. yeah, maybe eventually they would have figured it accidentally left the door open, but. Yeah, I mean, what, whatever. It just she's. Do you, do you think? But do you think that was the like? I mean, I understand t- technically, but yeah, like it's more. Everything's more McTaggart's fault. It's not like they ever. I mean, there was never a consequence. Never a consequence of why their is, actions. And why is more more McTaggart an American? <laughs> Good question. Especially since Rose Byrne is an American. Good question. It, I mean. And why does she keep following these people along? Like, why are they letting her... She has no powers. She, I mean, why Why would they put her in unnecessary harm? Right? Like, Well, she... They... I mean, they get kidnapped, right? Like... Well, yeah, but they bring her but, along. Yeah, to the, the final... final the like, final what, battle. What is she going to offer? Uh, like, what, what, what good can come from this? I don't know, man. This... Uh, yeah. Uh, it just... It, the, I don't know. It doesn't and, make this movie doesn't. And make when sense. they they kill Alex just so unceremoniously. Yeah. And yeah. Hey, that wasn't that was so unnecessary like that. <sighs> and even even the the final showdown was anticlimactic for this film. Again, what powers does Apocalypse have? What 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 makes Jean Grey's Phoenix power? so special? We don't know. They don't ever tell us. It never. Yeah. They they try to show us, but it's like. I mean, and if you have, so I get it. If you know the comic books, you get it. But that's not. I mean, and you have to it's, tell us. It's, not, it's, it's not good enough. Yeah, it's just. Also, did they kill Angel? I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. The, the the climax of this film is ridiculous. Apocalypse power was one of my biggest problems of the film. It's never defined. We don't know exactly what it is, and. He is a useless villain. All, his his main skill is being charismatic cult leader to bring these people together, and uh, to make uh, um, Olivia Munn look sexy. I, I don't. Hills mm-hmm. put her in her underwear. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get the villains of this film. I don't. I'm just so sick of seeing Magneto do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Uh, I thought the idea of Apocalypse would be interesting. Um, I thought, you know, hey, maybe, you know, he recruits Magneto, but Magneto sees that he's, I'm going to be an, an inside guy. But then he gets a cell phone call while this guy's over here doing costume design, 
and uh-huh. I did. This film was so bad. <laughs> what? I was so dis. I was such when, a dis- disappointment. When, when Apocalypse brings Eric back to Auschwitz, and he's like, "Why did you bring me here?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, why, why did, did you bring him here? Like, are you are you just are you reminding the audience of this part of his past? Like, you just." Show the tattoo and then no, that's not good enough. Let's just the audience is dumb. Let's just literally bring him to Auschwitz so he can and then it. show footage from first class. Like then they'll understand the I just the plight of the character. I, uh, yeah, yeah. Brian Singer, great, great casting. Way to way to build a cast and then destroy a just franchise. Spray diarrhea all over everybody and everything. Uh, and can we just? I mean, let's just. So let's just get this out there. Um, you know, a lot has been said about the Avengers, and perhaps the cast is too big. It's hard to get an arc for everyone. Well, this this movie has about twice as many characters as the Avengers, and it is just overstuffed. This film is there are too many characters. You could never. Part of the reason why, you know, we don't get character development is because. There's too many characters. You know, how many... So, instead of having side characters, like... So, the first X-Men, Xavier, Wolverine, Jean Grey, Cyclops are the main characters. That's who... Storm. But she's even kind of ancillary and a side character in the first film. Yeah. She really doesn't get her full role until the third film. And by then, Cyclops is dead, and Jean Grey is... Gone. A phoenix. A phoenix who doesn't talk. Yeah. So, you know, and... Those films become overstuffed too. The Last Stand is overstuffed. I mean, there's so many characters introduced that we don't care about. You know, Ben Foster as Angel, and so whatever. But you know, this film there are literally 20 characters on screen that are considered main characters. I mean, we're looking at all these people who have main roles in this film that you just don't, you don't give. I don't care about any of these characters. Yeah. You can't have a film this this. You can't. You just can't have this many characters in a film and. At least you have to focus on one or two, three or four, whatever characters, and build them up. It just—it's ridiculous. This film was ridiculous. Um, I at this point, I think like Fox is just trying to taint the franchise so badly that if Marvel ever gets it back, they're not going to be willing to to do anything with to it. To take a risk yeah. and make make a film. Um, well, I mean, they've ruined Fantastic Four. They've ruined X Men. Uh, hopefully, they don't ruin Deadpool. They, yeah, they. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Um, I would say maybe they they learned their lesson because they, you know, of the success Deadpool had and how hard they were, you know, yeah. fought. Um. But then again, I really doubt they will ever learn the lesson. So, <laughs> you know, whatever. Well, so you want to talk about next week? Yeah, um, Ninja Turtles. Out of the shadows. It's happening, guys. Brian promised you, and... <laughs> I promised... What? He would never let you down. He's gonna... You know, he doesn't want to do it, but for you, for our loyal fans, he's gonna step up, shell, shell out <laughs> the $11. Well... Well, actually, $14, because we're seeing it in 3D. Oh, God. Um, that will never happen. <laughs> If this film is seen, it will not be in 3D. I, so, like, part of me is being sarcastic, but I legitimately just, I really want to do this to you. 
I really want to make you go that watch is, Ninja you, Turtles. What? It would it will bring me a sick joy. You are, you are sick. I am a little sick. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to say that it's to be determined what yeah. film we're well, going to see. All right. So there are three potential choices. There's Ninja Turtles. There's Pop Star. Never stop. Never stopping. And there's the Lobster. Um, with we obviously the Lobster is going to, probably going to be the film with the most to offer out of the three of those. Um, yes. I don't know if. Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, or Ninja Turtles would be more ridiculous, honestly. Uh, is Pop Star even still in theaters? Yeah, it just came out this Friday. Yeah. Oh, I guess it, it's only been a few days. I, I know it's bombing horribly. That's why I, you know, asked, um, so. Which is sad, because it got pretty decent reviews. Uh, I, people were saying it's the best mockumentary since Spinal Tap. Really? Yeah. That is a... That is a pretty big statement I mean it it's uh, certified fresh at 76% um Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles though that 35% fresh rating <laughs> I think that's better than the last one so there's hope I guess <laughs> the audience score is 62% though so you know what they got what they came for I I, I think they got what they wanted I, the oh no oh no Peter Travers Peter Travers didn't like it it must be good then. Oh my god. I well I don't see I don't think it works that way. I just think like for him the threshold for a bad film is at like you know uh, for, for <laughs> we would have to rate a film like 4 out of 10 for him to give it a bad review. Oh, yeah. okay. Mhm. Um oh my wow. Dude, I really want to see this film. What? This review. <laughs> Alright, so at the end of the show, I'm going to read a little bit of Peter Travers' review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Just a few sentences. Cowabunga! The vigilante demigods on a half-shell are back and more inane and irritating than ever. <laughs> Their annex make the 112 minutes it takes to watch this frantic, frenetic follow-up to 2014's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a torturous mindfuck for any sentient being Whoa. over the age of infancy. Produced by Michael Bay, four words that should strike terror in the heart of every movie lover. This film is the latest chapter in a franchise everyone thought was buried until Bay resurrected it several years ago. Thanks for wow. nothing, dude. Where's the plot? I couldn't find one. In this plot, in the script by returning screenwriters Josh Applebaum and Andre Nemec. Yeah, I'll stop there. But, oh, wow. uh, man, I really want to see this film. <laughs> that makes you want to see a film. Dude, look. A torturous mindfuck for any sentient being over the age of infancy. I want to see this film. Well... <sighs> We're gonna. This is a long show, so we're gonna cut this. We're gonna talk about it off air. We're not, and, don't cut it. Don't cut it. No, uh, I'm we're, saying yeah. we're, we're ending the show now. Uh -huh. Okay. And uh, I promise we will see a movie and we will review it next week. Sometime in the next seven to ten days, you will have another episode <laughs> of the Midnight yeah. Film Review. Um, thank you for listening. Yeah, write us in midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Leave we, us iTunes reviews. We please. love you. Yeah. Find us on strange apps that we've never heard yes, of before. There you go. Tell your friends about us. Tell them they can hear their emails read over the internet <laughs> by total strangers. Uh, <laughs> willing to stop at nothing to debase themselves. Um, 
I think that'll do it for us. We'll be back with something hot and steamy next week. Yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. Okay, bye.